Incarnation is a, um, the subtitle is Rediscovering the Significance of Christmas. In this study, we will not be studying just one specific book of the Bible like we have been uh, doing in other studies before, but we will be using passages from the New Testament Gospels as well as related passages in the Old Testament, and I'll tell you which ones that you can go back and refer to. And uh, I'll be using the new uh, Revised Standard Version if you want to have that version handy and if you want your scripture to, to match uh, the ones that I'll be reading from. Um, so, this is the book, Incarnation, by Adam Hamilton. If you would like a copy of this, you can come by the church office sometime, and we have some here on hand. They're $15, or you can order uh, a book from your favorite outlet or download it on your Kindle or however you like to have your books. This is, this is a, good, a really good book. I recommend it. I mean, not every book that you do a study on is, is something that I would recommend. This one I would recommend. I think it's worthwhile. If you're not a big reader and you're just like I then join us for the study anyway, and, uh, and, and don't worry about it. Um, we'll be having four sessions, and in each one, we will be looking at a theme that goes along with a, a title or, um, or something, a name that corresponds with, with Jesus. And each lesson that I do on Wednesday nights will correspond to the message that I just preached the Sunday before. So um, this last Sunday, I preached the first Sunday of Advent on Christ the King. And so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. We'll look at the different titles given to Jesus, um, and we'll see what it meant for them in that day. We'll see what it means for believers today and what it means for our culture at large. The goal for our study is for us to, to recognize the, the deeper truths that go along with the Christmas story and these titles that, that belong to Jesus and for us to act upon them and, um, and because of who Jesus is and because of the coming of Christ, uh, Christmas and what that really means for it to make our lives better and our walk with the Lord stronger. We're going to explore tonight Jesus as King and we're going to think about what it means for the first followers of Jesus when they call Jesus king. Uh, and connected to Jesus being king is Jesus as Messiah. And we're going to talk about what Messiah meant for them and their expectations for Messiah. And then what that means for us today and how it helps us grow in our faith today. So Christ is king. Uh, king is not necessarily a word that we use today very much because we don't live in a country that, that has kings, we, we elect presidents. So uh, now I'm asking this for, for you, and you can type into the comments if you want to, but I'm asking also for the ones who are here in person, uh, what would you say the difference is between a king and a president? What do you think the main difference would be? And you can answer out loud. One has royal blood, okay. The others could just be a common everyday person. All right, how about how they get to be in that position? One's elected and one's of, of that lineage. You, 
appointed or, or, or assumes the throne, right? Um, in this past presidential uh, election, one of my friends had, a, a, you know, their yard signs everywhere in an election year. And he had a sign in his yard that said Jesus in 2020, uh, which I appreciate the sentiment because, I, you know, we, do, we are going to talk about how Jesus is our king and we owe our allegiance primarily to, to him as king. But the thing is about having, you know, Jesus 2020 is we don't vote Jesus into office. Jesus is king, whether we like it or not. So uh, now, we, as you know, unless you've been living in a cave somewhere, we just had a presidential uh, election. And so, again, I'm going to ask uh, for you at home, you can comment, uh, type your comments in. And for the people who are here, if you could use one or two words to describe the tone and the feel of this year's presidential campaign and election, what one or two words would you use to describe it? What was the tone and feel of it? Okay, was it friendly? Combative? Combative? Okay. Yeah. I, the word I, that came to my mind is polarized. Okay. You're just like on this side or on that side. And so we're, we're talking about um, Jesus as king. And we're also talking about what that means to have unity. And we, we know and we believe in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. He prayed that we all would be one. So um, here is, is the goal, despite all of the polarization which we've all been swept up in. I don't care how neutral you think you are. We've all been swept up in that. Um, I want to read to you something before we um, pray and before we watch the, the video. And uh, this is from... Uh, page 17 in, in this book. This season of Advent puts into perspective all our political wrangling. Whatever Christians think about their president or whoever we voted for in various elections, we are meant to know that there is only one king. It is to him that we give our highest allegiance. Will you join me as we have a prayer together. Gracious God, most high, who rules over all, you claim and call us all, despite our differences and agreements, to be your son's followers. May your spirit so fill our minds and hearts in this time of reading and reflection that we understand and embody more fully what it means to praise the King of Kings and the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, for you um, who are with us, joining us from home or wherever you are uh, participating in this, again, I say welcome to you. We are in just a couple of minutes. What you're seeing now, we're going to fade to black and we're going to watch about a 15 minute video uh, clip from this incarnation study. And before you think, oh no, I'm going to miss it. You don't have to miss this. There is a link on our church Facebook page uh, where you can go on YouTube 
and you can watch on YouTube the very thing that we're going to be watching on the screen here in the sanctuary. So you're not going to miss it, in other words. And, and if you want to go back and watch it later, uh, then for the next 15 minutes, we're kind of going to fade to black. So you can go to the kitchen and fi fix yourself a snack uh, while we watch this. If you want to go back and watch it later, you can. So, um, all right. So we're going to be fading out here.
Okay, uh, thank you for coming back and joining us. And I do hope that you will go to the link in YouTube and, and watch the, the video uh, because it's worth watching. And also I wanna encourage you to go and watch that little clip. There's a three minute clip you can go. If you just put in SM Lockridge and put That's My King, then you can go uh, and watch that little uh, three-minute clip of his famous sermon, That's My King. He was a, a pastor in uh, Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego for 40 years, very famous uh, African-American uh, preacher, and he says it in the way that only he can, so it's worth, worth doing that. So um, Advent, in, in the video clip, Adam Hamilton talked about how Advent should be a time of, of unity for, for Christians. And, and every year at Advent, it, it comes right after we've just had an election, which as we've said before, can be a very um, divisive and polarizing thing. But Advent is something that can kind of draw us together. Okay, here's a question for you. Again, respond uh, in the comment section, or if you're here, just say it out loud. How could we do that? How could how could do well? Do you agree that we should we can be unified at, uh, during the season of Advent? And if if so, how do we do that? How do we come together? So it's a matter of prioritizing and, yeah. Um, let me just, for, for you at home, say what um, Susan and what Mark said, because I think it's very good. Um, Susan said, when, when we come together in worship, it's like all of the other stuff is put, put aside, and we're focused just on worshiping Christ together. And then Mark said that a lot of times when you, um, when you have a common cause that you're working for, we see this during natural disasters, don't we? Uh, we, we see people from every walk of life coming together, and they're able to work side by side. Alabama fans and Auburn fans working side by side <laughs> because they're working on a common goal together. And I think that's kind of at the heart of, of being uh, unified during Advent for followers of Jesus. Um, so tonight we're looking at the royal titles given to Jesus um, that uh, are... Christ the King, Christ the Messiah, uh, and Jesus the Christ, and Christ and Messiah. I want to share just a, a few verses of Scripture from Luke chapter 1 um, so, um, so that you can hear the message uh, when Gabriel came to Mary. Um, he said, and this is verse starting with verse 30, the angel said to, to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. 
And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. In verse 32, he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Okay, out of that little short passage... Where specifically in there do you hear um, talk about royalty? What, what did you recognize in that passage that I just read that speaks of royalty? He will be the son of the Most High, right? And he will assume the throne, which is a, a royal reference, a throne of his ancestor David, King David, who is kind of the archetypal king. In the Old Testament, he will reign over the reign, a king's reign. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So kingdom, royalty. Now, here in the 21st century, uh, when I don't know about you, but when I think about the royals, my mind travels across the pond, so to speak. And I think about the royals in, in Great Britain. Uh, and, and usually I think about some story in the tabloids or some, uh, some famous thing or Buckingham Palace or something like that. Um, I think about maybe uh, kings in other countries and uh, in the Middle East and, and the entourages and the private jets and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, these royals or people who, whom we call royals... Um, how do they compare to Jesus? Um, does, their, does their rule last forever? Uh, are, are they um, the most high God? Are they, there, there's, there's nothing that compares. Uh, and no elected official compares. And that's what uh, Adam was talking about in the, the video. Jesus, Jesus is a different kind of king than any other king that we, we've ever known through history. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what being king in the Old Testament was. And to do this, we'll kind of go back to the model king for all the other kings. And that was, was King David. If you look in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16, you'll see the story. And I challenge you to go back and, and read this, uh, this whole chapter, 1 Samuel, chapter 16, and refresh in your memory the story of how... Um, David was chosen as king. Um, the prophet Samuel was uh, given instructions by God to go to Bethlehem and to find the home of a man named Jesse. And he said, because, one, uh, because the king is going to come from the household of Jesse in Bethlehem. And so Samuel uh, does what God says. He says, fill your horn with oil and... Uh, he's not talking about oiling the valves of his trumpet. He means getting the ram's horn and filling it with anointing oil, special anointing oil um, that he received from the high priest and to go to Bethlehem. So he goes to Bethlehem. He goes to the home of Jesse and he starts talking with Jesse. And, it, and what happens is kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, one of, I, I want to say a beauty contest, but it was kind of like uh, Jesse's sons were all paraded by um, 
the prophet Samuel. And every time one would come in, he, Samuel would say, well, this guy looks, he looks really like a kingly, you know. And God would say, nope, that's not the one. That's not the one. Uh, and he says something in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 16 that's one of my favorite verses. He, he tells, God tells Samuel, don't look at their outward appearance because God does not judge from outward appearance. God judges from the heart. So it didn't matter how big and strapping and kingly looking any of Jesse's sons were. They probably were mighty fine guys. Uh, but God looks at the heart. So they went through seven sons of Jesse and still no king. And Samuel said, have you got any other sons? And he says, well, there's my youngest, but he's got the worst job since he's the youngest. He's out taking care of the sheep. And Samuel said, go get him. And when he came in, God said, this is the one. And he anointed, he poured the oil from the ram's horn on the head of David and anointed him kings. To be anointed was to be set apart. Uh, different furnishings in the temple were anointed. Different utensils that were used in the sacrifice were anointed. People were anointed as prophets and as priests. And kings were anointed. It's, it's a part of, uh, of being set apart and called for a specific duty. Now, it's part, it's part of a ceremony that we carry on today, if you just think about it. Um, in January, uh, we, we will have something called the inauguration, and it's pomp and it's circumstance, and, and the raise the hand and put the hand on the Bible, and, and you, you make an oath and a vow, and, and it's, it's a part of being set apart for an office. When, uh, when someone graduates uh, from an institution, they have the mortarboard and they have the tassel and then they move the tassel from one side to the other. Or um, for our medical uh, students, when, when they graduate, they, they have a white coat ceremony, uh, which is pretty cool. I remember when my mom graduated from nursing school going to her pinning ceremony she got her pin and she got that old-fashioned nurse's hat and she was so proud and I was so proud of her um, so uh, officers who uh, who go through officer training school are commissioned uh, when I was ordained in the church I went through the ordination service and I was a stole was placed around my neck which symbolized the yoke of Christ that was put on me it's just a night I'll never forget um, Bishop Lloyd Knox uh, was the one who who did that, and I'll, I'll never never forget that. Uh, when we're baptized, the water and all of that all of that sets us apart. So, the Christ, the King, means the Anointed One, and it goes all the way back to King David, uh, because Jesus is of that lineage. Another passage I want to encourage you to go back and read is in Second Samuel chapter seven. Uh, and in Second Samuel chapter seven, if you look at the first sixteen verses, you see King David is is upset because uh, he's living in a he calls it a house of cedar. It was a, a palace, the king's palace, but he was upset that the Ark of the Covenant was in a tent, 
And he said, what am I doing living in a fine house when the Ark of the Covenant, which you remember would be the box that contained uh, the Ten Commandments and represented, was representative of God's presence. Uh, what am I doing living in a palace uh, when there's not a, a place that's beautiful for the Ark of the Covenant? And God said through the prophet Nathan to David, um, Look, David, I didn't ask you to build me a house. I'm king of the universe. I don't need you to build me a house. Uh, you're going to have ancestors that are going to do that. We know that King Solomon was the one that ended up doing that. Uh, but he said, here's a promise that I'm going to make to you. And this is the covenant that he made with David in 2 uh, Samuel uh, chapter 7. He said, uh, David, here's the covenant that I'm making with you. That, that your house and your kingdom, your throne, is going to be established forever. And then in Luke chapter 1, when the angel Gabriel comes and says to Mary, your son is going to take on that throne, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There will be no end. The Christ, the Messiah, the King, the Anointed One, uh, Jesus fulfills all of the messianic hopes that were predicted in the Old Testament that were prophesied for the Messiah. I'm going to read to you um, one such passage, and this is from Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 2 through 7. This is going to be um, um, something that you're probably going to see if you're doing some special studies for Advent and you're, you're preparing for Christmas. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder, for the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders and the rod of their oppressor you have broken as in the day of Midian. For all the boots of the trampling warriors and the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests on his shoulders and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, his authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The hope of the Messiah. All right. I'm going to, to kind of tick off some of these messianic hopes, and I want you to think as I go down through the list of how Jesus fulfills all of these messianic hopes. Um, the Messiah was going to be a light that shines in the darkness. The Messiah was going to bring good news of great joy. The Messiah was going to, to break the the yoke and the burden of oppression. 
that the Messiah was going to be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And the Messiah was going to bring justice and righteousness and establish it. So this is the the kingship that that Jesus brought. Um, Very, very different from any other kind of kingship. Very, very different from any other kind of uh, elected official. Um, I want you to think about uh, royalty as, as we know it. Um, and think about uh, the, the guards at Buckingham Palace with the tall fuzzy hats and, and the golden carriages and uh, royal pageantry of the, of the British crown. And think of, think of uh, the inauguration that will be coming up in January. And it's not just, not just the, the pageantry of the inauguration itself, but all of the inaugural balls. Uh, there will be feasts and everybody will be dressed up in their fanciest clothes and the men will have on the fanciest tuxedos. Secret service will be around everywhere, guarding everything that happens, right? The highest level of security possible. Um, now, with that picture in your mind, contrast that to Jesus. Jesus, born uh, in, in humble circumstances, uh, born in an animal uh, stall and wrapped up in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. Um, no, no great uh, parades. The announcement came to the shepherds. Um, no uh, secret service people with little buds in their ears and, and guns on their hips, but surrounded by animals and shepherds. Um, Jesus, and yet the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, who, who not only talked about salvation, that's the thing about Jesus, Jesus uh, wasn't just a prophet who, who told about salvation. Prophets can tell about salvation, but they can't save. Uh, Jesus was the one who could tell about it and then provide it. Um, he was crucified, but death could not hold him. And the resurrection just was a triumph in Jesus' kingship. And one day, Jesus will return in triumph and fully and finally rule over all of creation forever and ever. I want to, to read, uh, I read to you the beginning of Jesus' life. I want to read to you um, a passage from, from the last book in the Bible, Revelation. Um, just a couple of verses from chapter 19 and then a verse from chapter 11. This is uh, verses 11 and 12 and verse 16. From chapter 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name inscribed that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in robe uh, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Um, all right, and then verse 16, 
On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then um, skipping back to verse 11, we get just in the middle of a bunch of other things in chapter 11, um, this message. And I don't, I don't know if you can hear this without thinking of Handel's Messiah. I can't hear this without thinking of Handel's Messiah. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, 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 right? Um, so the kingdom of this world when all is said and done, the kingdoms of this world will be um, the kingdoms of our Lord and of the Messiah forever and ever and ever. So we live, you and I live in a time between the triumphs, right? Between the triumph of Jesus' resurrection, um, which no other king has ever done, and then the triumph of Jesus' second coming. Um, the good news for us is that our faith in the first triumph gives us confidence in the second. Uh, Advent means coming, and as we prepare our hearts for the coming of Christmas, we also are reminded of the second Advent, the second coming of Christ our Lord and King. So let me close by just asking you this. Again, I ask you, uh, and type it into the comments. Do you think it's, in, I mean, some people say, okay, king, that's an old-fashioned word. It doesn't really have any relevance for us here in the 21st century and here in the U.S., whatever. But do you think it is important for us to still remember that Jesus Christ is king? Do you think it is? Yes? Yes. Um, so why? Why is it still important for us to be reminded that Jesus is king? Does it help us keep perspective uh, when all of the other people uh, in, in office and with royal titles um, try to, are exalted by others or try to exalt themselves. And we get caught up, we get swept up in that. And, and this, this one's the one that we prefer, or that one's the one that we prefer. Um, I think that for followers of Jesus, we need to be reminded, and this is a good time for us to be reminded, that we have one king. And that's where our deepest commitment and our, our most profound allegiance goes. Um, I, want to, um, I want to close by, if you have the book and you want to follow along, this quote is on pages 41 and 42 uh, in, the, in the book. And this is what I want to close because this, to me, is the crux of what it means for Jesus is king. And this is a quote from the book. Uh, Adam Hamilton writes, I don't know your politics, but if you are a Christian, I know your king. His Sermon on the Mount, his parables, 
and his great commandments calling us to love God and neighbor represent the laws of his kingdom, our allegiance to him comes above all other allegiances. Let me say that again, and then we're going to pray and, and um, meet back again next week. Our allegiance to Jesus Christ, our King, comes above all other allegiances. Let's pray. Eternal God, through the ages, your people have longed for a righteous ruler who will speed up the day your will is finally done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus, your anointed one, you anointed uh, us to do your will as citizens of your kingdom. By your spirit, anoint us and keep us strong and hopeful as his faithful and obedient subjects. We ask in the name of Christ, our King. Amen. Thank you for joining us.